I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello guys and welcome to this week's episode of Heavy Metal Tones with me, your podcast host, Tony Evans. This is the first part of a two-part classic album chat. Uh, I was going to do try and do it in the one episode, uh, but I really couldn't get it in. Um, so we're going to do, as you probably noticed by the title of the show, if you're very observant, it's uh, Iron Maiden's classic self-titled first album, Iron Maiden. Uh, and it's going to be the first part's going to be about the artwork um, the, and the production of the album, and then next week's episode uh, will be song by song, uh, uh, track by track breakdown, which is the bit I like to do. But I just was so excited by looking at it. I sort of really enjoyed the delving into the art of this album that I sort of lost, got myself lost in the amount of information that I could that I found out. There's always when you think you know lots of stuff you think you know it all the all the, all the information and then in bingo it sort of appears in your in your research um so we won't bore the world with who i am maiden is if you're new to this genre uh um and you're new to this podcast i am maiden is the what is probably the biggest band metal band in the world at the moment um it's also um by a long way, it is um, the most influential, I think, of the modern, and I say modern, the non-heavy rock-based era metal, so your Black Sabbaths and your Deep Purples and so on. Um, they are they were the founding, one of the sort of leading lights of the new wave of British heavy metal, or Nawabam. I've done an episode of those before. Everyone knows how much, or should know how much I love that particular genre. I've got a Facebook page is dedicated to a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, uh, they're coming. The the band formed in Leighton, in the East End of London, in 1975. Uh, they have had 17 studio albums, 41 albums in total, 13 live albums, and 47 singles. I mean, that's crazy. 47 singles. I own most of them. I didn't realise there was 47 of them. No, it just it blows my mind. I have to go back and, and look into that. So I think some of them I don't have physical copies of. Excuse me, I don't mean to yawn. Um, 
we were up uh, early taking a little um, cat to the vet to get her um, she gets injection every three months for her arthritic joints and it's always a real stress when she goes so I didn't sleep real well last night anyway that aside they were the pioneers, I thought. Uh, well, I think, well, they, everyone knows they're the pioneers of, of New Everbridge Heavy Mill. They have had three drummers, three guitarists, and um, three singers in their life of the band. Um, they've toured, you know, cons- uh, conservatively the world so many times in their own private jet, non-private jet. They've had some of the world's biggest longest running world tours um the power slave tour was one of the longest of its kind ever um they it was now the first um demo that they did was recorded on new year's eve in 1978 um at the at starwood spacewood studios in cambridge that went on to become the sound sound tapes um sound tapes Tony, what are you talking about? Someone's looking at these looking at these games. What do you mean sound tapes? Soundhouse tapes is what I meant, you know. Anyway, uh, you know, old man, head stuff. They've um I've just looked at this amazing fact here, so I just picked it up, then I wrote all this stuff down and I'm just re re fact checking my information. And uh where was it? Here we go. Uh, God hang on, I had something crazy. Um, yeah, they have sold over 130 million copies of their albums worldwide, despite minimal radio and mainstream media support. The, ma- the band's catalogue has sold over 200 million copies worldwide, including albums, singles, compilations, and videos. That's of, as of last year. How, that's amazing, isn't it? Um, originally formed, as I said, in the east end of London, where my family originally from, um, uh, uh, by Steve Harris. Uh, he was his, you know, he was in Gypsy's Kiss, which, uh, if you're from that part of the world, know that's a rhyming, Cockney rhyming slang for having a piss. Gypsy's Kiss, right? I mean, you know, it's no, it's not no um, brain surgery there to work that one out. He thought he then encouraged his good friend Dave Murray to join the band as a guitarist. There's several guitar changes and lead singer changes. We're not going to go into the history of the band. That's a, for another day, I think. But just need to know they are the biggest band in the world. They went from uh, writing, um, you know, classic, uh, very British, new album-based um, heavy metal to, uh, you know, sort of the modernist uh, progressiveness of... Uh, of of the sound they have now, because Steve Harris and Dave and um, Bruce Dickinson are both huge prog heads, and so for them, and that's why I've always I've never felt embarrassed by being a prog my, nut myself, because if I if if it's good enough for Steve Harris, and who's going to argue, argue within that? You make like like when his daughter and his son uh, toured with them. Uh, I think Lauren Harris was in two thousand and eight, and his son Bruce Dickinson's son was only recently the Book of Souls tour. I mean, no disrespect, they're not the great musicians, are they? But you're not going to turn around and go, if something that Steve comes, hey, my daughter's playing, you're not going to say, Steve, no, look, I think we need a better act. You look at Steve and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to argue with you, mate. Um, they, you know, they're, they're tough, tough people, with, but they've got such a such a musical soul to them, all right? Now, this original artwork, now, um, so let's get on, let's get on to, on to that. So, the... 
the amazing thing about um, I made in success when it becomes the artwork of of their albums, I think, and of the whole image, is that they've they've not gone this make this character, and we'll write songs about this character, and then you know, and we'll milk the image, a la Ghost or Kiss, um, you know, um, no, they haven't done that. Eddie is. Eddie was originally well. We'll get onto what he was originally about. But Eddie is the band have often said, and Steve has said that he likes the having an Eddie on the cover because it stops them having to be on the cover. Because you know, I mean, you, some people here young enough listen to my show um, would never know, didn't realize that most album covers really the seventies um, to into early eighties, even well, even the sixties, really onwards. The band were on the front because you sold the band as a package, as a as a product, right? And so, you know, you want you got your their smiley mugs in tight jeans on the front of the cover. Now, Steve Harris, he may be a extrovert because he's always in the centre of the stage. He's always wanting to be in the limelight. Doesn't necessarily want to be on the front cover. Like he often said, he said, "Why do people want to see my ugly mug?" Right? I dispute that because I think they that they have a good image. I mean, yes, there are a few albums late today where there's a few singles where they are on the front cover and um, back covers and things. But, you know, they, they've got this image and they've nurtured it and grown it. And it's grown um, organically, which is the thing I think is incredible. It wasn't, it's not contrived. You know, it's not, it, it's the, it, what happened, all the stuff that happens, which we'll find out soon, is, is all happenstance, happy happenstance, right? Um, it's all accidents and 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 uh, coincidence. When you go out there, if you're in a band, I've been several bands. Um, in fact, I'm sort of looking and we sort of started one up again a bit recently. Um, you don't want you've got to think of your music as the product, and then what's wrapped around it isn't is is. is 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 not that important. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, look, when you go and buy a mar- uh, like say you buy a fancy chocolate bar or um, you know something like you 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 want a lovely wrapper, right? Because it does entice you, but it doesn't it doesn't last. It's it's ephemeral. Once you take that wrapper off, it's in the bin. What you, what you do remember is the taste that you've had of that chocolate bar, right? You remember that. You remember the the smell, the taste, the texture. It's the same with the music. So, yes, the artwork is wonderful, and I do. I love it. I absolutely. I've got the house. My house is full of Iron Maiden um, ephemera, and not as much as my good friend Matt. Um, but definitely, definitely, it's everywhere. I'm looking right now while I'm recording. I'm looking straight up at a whole selection of um, bobbleheads. You know, the pops, which are very big in America. I think they're still big over here in Australia. I've got all of the eddies of the last two releases singles and in packs of four and i've got all of the i've got the power slave the new latest one and i'm every time they release one i will buy it um you know i've I'm, my record deck is covered with a fantastic um power slave um wall hanging that my friend callum gave me for my birthday uh for christmas sorry um you know it there's you know, I'm looking at a, 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 a trooper bobblehead, a trooper tin of beer. I've got a, a trooper uh, action figure. 
And this is just in, within my vision ahead of me. So, yes, it is. Where it is a, a wonderful thing to have iconism. The it's not. It's more about the music with inside. And so, Maiden when they write their music didn't write about Hedy. You, know, you won't hear a song that really. They might have something that might sort of reference him, but very rarely. In fact, I don't, I don't know any. Now, I might be wrong, guys. There might be some I'm made nuts out there, more nutty than me, that know, no, 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 they wrote this song and it's in reference to Eddie. I don't know. I don't know. And that's what I'm saying. So, it, you know, if you're going to find it, if you're looking for artwork um, or, 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 you know, if you're looking for the same kind of fervour that you can get with... with the, I think you can't, you can't, you can't. Now, let's just stop there. We, we can't attain that because the reason that Eddie is so recognised and so wonderful and so powerful at all is we all love the fucking band we all love the music we all fucking love the experience we love what they mean what they portray what they um, talk about uh, what their, their, their agenda is we love them so much that we're all going to love their bastard child of Eddie aren't we we're going to right and they add a bit of fun and humor is humor to it, but also add a bit of. Um, I mean, no one could be scared of Eddie. I mean, let's be honest. People out there, you know, I've got friends who are always a bit devilish. Uh, you know, some quite Christian friends of mine don't like it because of that, um, which is really stupid. Because as I said, um, you don't look at the Bible and then go, "Well, okay, that's a boring cover. I won't read the book," do you? It's not about the cover, and it's the same not about the. Um, about the art anyway that, that aside so this is what's so powerful about the artwork and so, and where they were very very lucky to come across a, um, an artist in Derek Riggs to paint their first uh, their first singles and their first and their first album and we've had they've used um, Mark Wilkinson in the past who is a, one of my heroes as an artist did all the first five Marillion covers and then a lot of all the fish albums um, wonderful airbrush eyes of the highest, highest quality. Uh, but Derek Riggs. So Derek Riggs is this. Uh, oh, well, let's. What we'll do is we'll we'll talk about we'll talk about him in the second in the second part, right? Because um, I think we can really cover some of the nit- nitty gritty about this particular album and its singles more deeply. Now, let's talk about where Eddie came from. So Eddie. <clears throat> Excuse me, Eddie. Um, if you know your, if you want to look at some back some videos of of when I made him playing at the Ruskin Arms and early um, Marquee. Sorry, bit of noise. We've got, we had a few bit, a bit of bushfires at the back of here last yesterday, <coughs> and um, we've had some helicopters flying over recently. Anyway, yeah. So I'm going to pause a second. I'm going to have a big cough. One moment. That's better. Anyway, so uh, yeah, so they had a the they had a they had an art, a singer, um, the the one the, a couple one of the couple of singers before they were you know signed to EMI, um, who was quite theatrical. Now I did write his name down. I knew it off by heart. And then my bloody um, excuse me. Here we go. 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 Uh, David Wilcock. Now he was quite theatrical. He used to do the draw the blood, like the fake blood on a sword, and he'd go and buy um, horror costumes from 
like Hammer Studios when they were um, closing down, so did Marillion. In fact, there's a great story about them buying those um, outfits and then wearing them on stage and realized they were translucent <laughs> under the bright lights. Um, and he found this mask at an art, art school sale, um, pinned it to the wall, put some bulbs in its eyes and had it spit fake blood out of the mouth chewing Iron Maiden, their signature song. And I used to drip on the drummer's head and, you know, people like um, the original drummer like uh, um, uh, Samson, Doug Sampson, uh, uh, would get on his head and get really, really annoyed and upset by that. And I don't, don't blame him. But the reason he was called Eddie, they did, the band didn't call him Eddie. So the original reason it was called Eddie, or Eddie the Ed, or Eddie the Head, was from the fans. I mean, the fans are always going to, I mean, good thing about fans, and I'm sure you've all been there. I've been fans of small bands that have got really big. Um, luckily, I've, I've seen them, their journey, and you do sort of sit there with them and, and you feel that they're your band and you can make your comments. And so the band based it around Eddie on the, the joke about Eddie the Head. Now, I'm going to tell you the joke. It's not overtly funny, I, I think it's quite funny. Um, I told it to my wife yesterday and she just looked at her, over her glasses at me and scowled. Um, so, if you don't know the joke, this is the joke. So, one day, Mrs. Davis. Uh, has her baby and when the baby was born it's just a head now she's distraught by this and she talks to the doctor and the doctor says don't worry don't worry by his fifth birthday we'll get him a full body transplant and the mum's like oh my god okay okay I feel more comfortable yeah that's great that's really good and on the the day of the fifth birthday comes and uh, Eddie the head is lying in his bed in his bedroom and the dad comes in, walks in with mum, big smile on his face and says, hey Edward, um, we've got a big surprise for you, for your birthday. And Eddie turns around and says, oh no, not another fucking hat. <laughs> you've got to see, you got to see the side, that's a very, that's a very um, EastEndery kind of joke, that one. Anyway, so that's where that comes from. So it's nothing to do with the band, con no contrivance again, right? It's just they they would have talked to the band, the band would have charted at it when they came out. And then, of course, it moved on to this mask they bought, um, you know, at a joke shop, and they'd put that on. And, and um, I think, if I remember rightly, I think it was their manager, I think it was um, Smallwood, would come out with the mask on and run around. I think Doug Sampson did it once as well. Um, and run around on stage pre the big puppets of Eddie. I mean, that's another thing. What a wonderful, wonderful thing that when you go to an Iron Maiden concert, you do wait for Eddie to come on. It's almost, um, even though you, you're there for the band, you're there for the music, you, you fucking love the experience. But when that Eddie comes out, that 14 foot articulated creature based on the album that you're seeing, you know, the tour, um, I mean, my favourite. By a long way is the uh, Somewhere in Time Eddie. I think it's most people's favourite Eddie. I really, really, really liked um, the Book of Souls Eddie. And I I have to say, I did not like... Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the Space Eddie uh, for Final Frontier. Because, uh, to be honest, and everyone knows this, it's not, not an album that I revisit or even enjoy that much. So I just felt it was a bit... I felt that moved too much away from Eddie, whereas all the others are, are recognisably Eddie. Um, he was a bit, I don't know, I don't know. I think it, was, it was a time and space, I suppose, a time and place, you know what I mean? Anyway, I'm going to go now and um, 
revisit my notes for the cover and we will see you on the other side freshen my tea up and uh, yeah talk to you soon guys bye for now hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back, guys. I hope you enjoyed your rest or the adverts. I wanted you to go and get a cup of tea, get a new drink, have a pee, whatever you're doing, uh, or, or, or fast forward through it, which I do. Um, so we've got this new artist, Derek Riggs. He's going to do this art for this new album by this band that has got so much heat behind it in the East End of London and the London scene and the heavy metal scene in general around the UK. Um, you know, it, they've got so much innate talent. And, and so much depth to the music that it's um, it's obviously becoming apparent that this band is going to be really big, and and you can feel it. You could, you, I'm sure. I mean, my, as I told, I've told you many times. I've told you a couple of times. My brother saw Iron Maiden at, in uh, Kingsbury. We lived, grew up around the corner from the um, where the um, you know bloody hell. See old man memory the bandwagon in kingsbury bloody hell it went way out of my head then um yeah my brother used to go there a lot 
uh, Ronald and um, and Andrew, and well, both of my brothers used to go there actually, and uh, they went and saw Iron Maiden. I think they paid like fifty p, maybe even less, probably. And I think at the time, and now I think this might be apocryphal, but I think they were on with um, Van Halen. But again, Iron Maiden people know more than I do. It's just that's memory from my brothers, and I might be associating it to a different memory but I think it, I do remember him telling me that he saw this amazing American guitarist right so anyway that aside um, one second where was I go? where was I go see I've gone bloody brain went out the window um, yeah so they were this big band right and and they were, they were going places right um, that everyone knew they were going to go places my brother knew they were going to be big He saw U2 for a couple of pence, like as well, in a pub uh, in North London, and said they were going to be big as well. So he should have listened to my brothers. Anyway, didn't, I mean, he didn't say anything about being tossers, but that's neither here nor there. Do you know, I've said this before, I think I've told this before, just a sidetrack, that uh, my brother was a bit naughty, and he was a bit naughty as a teenager, and he, he broke into a, a record store and he nicked a load of records, right? Um, and uh, he was selling them on. and you know what he gave me? You two albums. I looked at him. I was like, what? The, what? I don't fucking... War? I mean, I mean, if you're out there and you like that and you love it, good on you, man. But I just find it really, really awful. Anyway. Um, ah, that's neither here nor there. Okay, so let's look at the... What, what, where Eddie goes from strength to strength from the first album onwards, we get Derek Riggs. So Derek Riggs is a crazy, crazy, interesting man, okay? Fiery, intelligent, um, uh, a mystical. Like he's just, he's, he's, you can't bottle Derek Riggs. Uh, he is what he is. I know he's had some time uh, issues with his mental health and he's gone through some mental health issues. Um, it doesn't mean that's, and when I say crazy, I don't mean it that way, guys. That's not, I don't want to be demeaning. I mean, he's just a little bit, um, you know, like crazy, like mad, you know, like just, just frantic. Um, anyway, he, the band, the band approach him uh, or the band's management approach him and he, at the moment, he was, He'd made a, uh, uh, he'd made a, 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 the face that is now on the front cover. He made that face for a punk band he was going to give it to. And originally, now I found this out, and I thought this is an interesting, um, it wasn't called Eddie at all. He, they originally called, he originally called it, um, Electric Matthew Says Hello. We could have had a Matthew there. Could have had Matty, couldn't we? Uh, which would have been, which would have been weird. Right, but anyway, so that's the album cover. But let's look at the singles first. So the first single, "Running Free," comes out. Now, beautiful piece of marketing here. So you don't see the face of Eddie on the front cover of of the single because they wanted to, the album to be a big reveal. They were so impressed by the album artwork. They were like, "No, we're going to reveal Eddie." separately right so running free comes out before the album it's got you know him running that the classic one with eddie um you know running down uh a back alley you know oh knock the mic sorry you know and um no you don't i'm not talking about eddie standing in the back of the alley in the shadows 
and who's running away, someone looks up like Bruce, right? It could be Steve, could be anyone really. Um, there's rubbish piled um, up in the uh, on the side, and that's where you get the the um, originally first see Riggs's autograph, the strange symbol autograph that's on the side. In America, it's on the trash can trash cans in the uk it's on the bins right um and then there's a sort of eddy hand reaching out um towards the the bugger that's running away from the very scary shadowed eddy in the background um you know it looks like a typical uh east end uh or could even be new york side you know street could be any dodgy part of any major city insert a city here at night time you know and there are um looks like there are bugs on the grass growing through the concrete bricks and there's graffiti on the walls um it, and it's quite ominous right it's quite ominous but you don't see him you don't see eddie right you don't know that's eddie at all i mean if you didn't know as if you said so if you just were buying the single and you had no idea oh man this is the first single by this new band um you wouldn't have a clue because you'd look i'm sure you'd stare at the artwork and think well running free so it's about running away from whatever you're running away from we should talk about that in the next episode but um yeah so really clever bit of marketing on their part early on and that's what ron smallwood and his partner have always been very good at and steve and the guys have really been really good at is the, the and let's be honest they can market anything i mean you can buy as i said before in the first part iron maiden or anything i'm sure there are iron maiden condoms out there i am absolutely sure there are iron maiden dildos somewhere out there right um that they've put the name on almost everything, including very, very, very delicious beers. Um, if you've not tried the Iron Maiden beer, well, you, and you and you call yourself a beer drinker, yeah, grant you it's not light lagers, or they do the sun, the sun one. Um, they're mainly bitters. So if you don't like beer with flavour, which a lot of Americans and Australians sadly don't, um, you might not like it. But give yourself a go, right? Give it a go. You might like it. Anyway, back to the Eddie. Okay, so that's the first single. Amazing, right? Okay, brilliant. Um, well, we're going to go from my notes, get from my notes, get to my notes. So that was released on the 8th of February, 1980, Running Free. Um, they, they were, when they appeared on Top of the Pops to play this single, they were the first band since 1972, um, The Who that was then, to play live. Um, because most bands, in fact, it was it was de rigueur um, to play, uh, had to be, you had to be mimed, because firstly, they wanted the sound to be perfect. Secondly, it was easier to control. Um, and I don't know why, but that's what they, this is what it went. And the who, the who wouldn't stand for it, and neither did Iron Maiden. And so when you, if you watch any YouTube clips of Iron Maiden's running free on top of the pops, it is not dubbed it is recorded live which i think is very very good in fact um marillion did it again uh 10 years later possibly maybe an eight years later the same thing um now okay you love this i'm going through my notebooks he's sexy looking <laughs> okay so then the album comes out and there's the reveal and there's eddie okay and He's this gaunt, um, deathly, zombie-esque creature with this sort of 
rig, deferous, rigorous scowl. You know, his lips are beyond his teeth. He's got, you know, no nose. Um, and he's got this spiky punk type hair. Uh, and he's obviously clearly in some street somewhere, uh, anywhere, could be really. Um, and that's what's scary about that cover because it's 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 urbanized. It's not a, a monster in a graveyard or a monster in a in a spacesuit. It is an urbanized creature. Right now, I'm going to be be brutal here. Um, now, Steve Harris has come out quite reg- quite often. I mean, I don't think he does it now. I think Steve's a bit more open minded now. But back then, when punk was taking hold of everything that was dear. Um, now, good, and I've said this before in podcasts. I'm, I love punk, but for the good and the better. Some of it was good, some of it was terrible. It did, did more harm, it did some harm, did a lot of good, right? Anyway, when it was taken hold, and bands like Iron Maiden and metal bands couldn't sell a record, couldn't buy space because they didn't have short hair or spiky hair or Mohicans or play two minute songs about Thatcher, um, anti Thatcher, I should say. They they felt they I mean I mean Steve Harris has been said that apparently he was told they should cut your hair can you can you cut your hair we might be able to get you a better deal like what a lot of shit um, and so he hated that really hated it but there's something I've always said visually and sonically again that's for next week um, that's very punk about this first album and now I don't know whether it's psychological whether it was subconscious. Or it was slightly deliberate, you know, to try and grab the zeitgeist of the time. I don't know. Um, but I think that the, the original Eddie on the front of the first Iron Maiden album is quite punky. Now, not because he's got spiky hair. No, I think it's the situation of which he's in. I think the the image where it sits within the landscape of the album cover is quite urbanised and quite urban. And, and the, the whole point of punk is an urban youth rebellion. And I feel that that um, sits that way. And it's very much so when we look at um, when we look at the first sing- second single off the album, okay? So the second single off the album, right, well, I believe it's Sanctuary. Now, Sanctuary, uh, it's one of my favourite, um, sorry, it's one of my favourite Mel Brooks um, lines, you know, Sanctuary, it's the one with um, uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, he's going, Sanctuary, Sanctuary, thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, so, very controversial. Now, this is where the punk thing comes in, guys. Now, park your elitist metal brains to the, to the side, Put them a rest and have a listen to this, okay? It's the 1980s. So we've come out, it's 1980, We've come out of the first wave of punk, 77. And I always say that as soon as Sid died, which is 1980, punk died anyway. But it's still going to some extent. It becomes far more political in the second wave with bands like uh, The Exploited, Crass, um, extreme noise terror, you know, bands like that. Anyway, they become very political. Okay, uh, flux of pink Indians, um, you know, all those sort of those sort of uh, anarcho um, com- uh, sort of punk bands and stuff that um, that Rick loved on on the young ones, right? Anyway, 
the second single comes out and there it is there's eddie he's kneeling over a pro a, a dead a dead figure of thatcher she's just pulled Iron Maiden poster off the wall. She's got it wrapped on her. And he's hold, brandishing a bloodied knife. You could not get away with it now, guys. He's obviously stabbed her to death because she's pulled the poster off the wall. Now, it was so disturbing in the UK that they had to put a black line over Mag, Mag, uh, Maggie Thatcher's eyes. Nowhere else in the world. So I've got copies of them. I've, I've sent in uncensored copies. Um, um, Derek Riggs' autograph is on the ripped poster on the wall, by the way. Now... You could now. I'm going to state my reputation here that I'm Maiden are not, and never will be, a politically orientated band. They write songs that are sometimes politically, um, sort of, you know, sort of politically poking at, you know, um, but very rarely. It's mainly historic stuff, isn't it, with Maiden? It's mainly. Um, some fantasy but history they very really get involved with politics and this is as close as i think that they get to in these next two single covers because um there she is uh, one of the most divisive and most hated prime ministers of the 20th century uh, a powerful england's first female prime minister a powerful woman um which you know scared some people but also uh, you know she it was the time of um you know the pound is a pound in your pocket meant more than anything else you know it was reaganism you know um they used to call her maggie the Thil maggie thatcher the milk snatcher because when i was at school and this is a bit of memory lane some of you guys you won't young guys won't have any memory of this but we used to get um about 10 o'clock in the morning oh, i'm vaguely remembering 10 maybe 11 you'd go and get a bottle of milk each you'll get a bottle of milk which is a tiny little half pint bottle of milk with a straw and you drink it in class it was to give you it was so that the kids after the war because there was no calcium and the parents had not much money you would get a part milk and it was warm i remember being the milk monitor i had to go and grab the milk but because i was a milk monitor i got an extra one it was great and people hate it because if people were lactose didn't like milk that it was warm and some people have very bad memories of it and i have fond memories of it every time i loved it every single time um, I love milk, and it was like, um, I looked forward to it, because um, we didn't have it at home, I couldn't drink the milk at home, because mum would say it was for dad, because it's for his tea, because he's working, so we never, I never drank milk at home, um, same with um, school lunches, we used to get school lunches, a full cooked meal, I come from, um, I've said this before, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not unproud of this, I'm, I'm not ashamed of this, I come from a relatively, in fact, quite poor family, um, and large family, with, not much, with single income, um, and so we got one meal a day and that one meal a day was, if we were lucky, was at dinner time and it wasn't that great. You know, my mother, um, God rest her soul could, uh, could burn water. You know, she, you know, she put a 14 pound turkey in at Christmas time in the oven and it'd come out at 11, you know, a three ounce budgie. You know, it was, it was, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, my mother's cooking, God bless you, mum, but it was, and you know, it was, um, she'd put cabbage on at like one and we'd eat it at four. You know, we 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 know all the water went down the all the nutrients went down the sink. There was no nutritional value to it whatsoever. So we used to have a decent meal, school meals. I loved them, apart from some of the puddings. I'm semolina. I'd rather jump into a, uh, a glass uh, lined um, pit and cover myself in vinegar than eat that shit again. Um, but we all have those memories. The point is that we had those things, and she took those things away. 
um, because you know she'd privatized the railways and the phone and the post office, and she she did some good things. And it's not a plot. I don't want to be. I'm not trying to be a political podcast here, but she did some good things. She did some very bad things. Very bad, poor idea of what the working man wanted. She had there was minor strikes. We had three day strikes. I remember um, having no electricity at night time, having to listen. In fact, one of my earliest fondest memories is listening to um, my brother's copy of Iron Maiden on a battery powered record deck. Um, also, Hitchhiker's got the Galaxy on a on a on a on the radio to candlelight battery powered radio anyway so not liked okay so there she is this creature standing over stabbed at the death now the song has got nothing to do nothing to do with politics really okay um and it was written by one of the first another one of the other singers of the band it wasn't written but written by the one anyone actually in the band at the time when it was released Okay, so why? If you dislike um, punk so much, why are you making what I would I would call a punk statement? It is a punk statement. It really is. You couldn't get any more punk in 1980 than um, having a picture of Thatcher slain on the front of your single. You just you just couldn't. Um, so again. Beautiful artwork by Derek Riggs. Beautiful monochromal tones, um, yellows and blacks. And there's no reds. On, there's no vicious. There's no viscera. You don't see blood on the blade. It's not obvious, but it is really. You can know it's there. It's a really um, powerful, powerful single. All right. And then comes. You think, oh, okay. Well, that was. They've got it out of their system. And then came women in uniform. Now, um, we'll talk about that single next week as music, um, but it's an Australian cover version. The cover is an Australian band by a story man called Skyhooks. Anyway, that aside, it wasn't actually on the album. It was released as a single not released on the album, uh, which is, again, uh, one of those sort of things that bands used to do, but they used to do that before the album was released, which is interesting. This one was while the album was out. It's like having a sort of second... Um, you know a second single right you know um a second stab at release it gives you a bit more life and here we reapproach the uh, more politics you know and then more this is actually quite scandalous i would have said um you see one of the um mantras of punk uh was to shock um, and to some extent, some of the mantras of early heavy metal is to shock as well. Uh, you know, you could go down that route. More so the punk thing, though, right? Because um, you want to you want to express your view politically and socially and morally very quickly, very powerfully, and that's what happens. Imagery is the best way to do it. The second single. Um, as I said, third single, not off the album, so this was released on the album, just the third single, independent single, Women in Uniform, um, is one of my favourite covers, if not probably my favourites of the early single covers, definitely. Um, this one's quite... It, 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 it got a lot of controversy, okay, so... It's the same environment that sort of off the album cover and the single, the first single... 
it's a cityscape it's um, flooded by that uh, you know fluorescent street lighting that sort of yellow that turns everything green it's got a um, the moon in the background like on the, on the front cover that's sort of surrounded by the eth ethereal kind of uh, cloudscape and coming up the street or f out of the alleyway or wherever you want to picture there's a building in the background like a high-rise um, you've got Eddie and in each arm he's got a groupie he's got a nurse insert sexual fantasy there and school kid I'm not gonna say anything about that one other side both of them quite sort of busty and nubile and you can obviously know what they've just done right or about to go and do and tucked behind one of the walls is offside to the side of the picture is um, a very urban wall. It's like it looks like it's wet and damp. It looks like posters wouldn't stick to it. Typical kind of, even looks like it could even be in the an IRA, you know, uh, an Irish um, uh, cityscape, you know, like um, like in um, Belfast or something. But tucked around the corner, about to get her revenge, is Maggie, and she's in full military garb, holding a semi-automatic rifle and wearing a beret. Um, now, that's not what caused the controversy, would you believe? You would think that would be it, wouldn't it? Portraying our glorious Uban leader um, as a military uh, dictator or soldier. No, it was the fact that feminist groups got very upset that um, Eddie was... Um, we were sexually portraying women as objects. Now, what they don't... What they didn't get about that and I'm not going to bring it up now in this because I want to talk about the music next week but what they didn't get I'll just quickly run over it is the whole song is about to be honest it's about objectifying women yes it is it's it's um it's about uh, look I won't go anyway the song's called women in uniform so there are three women on the cover and both, all three of them are in uniforms. Now, one of them is an empowering uniform, i.e. a army slash, you know, fatigue kind of thing. And the other two are sexualization of... Uh, you know. But Eddie himself is wearing tight blue jeans when you can clearly see his, you know, his man beans, right? His cherries, his blobs, his, his gonads, his, uh, you know, whatever you want to call them, right? Um, you can see that. Um, and he's got a white, now he's a creature of the night, but he's, you know, he's also sexualizing himself as well. So it's a very difficult, um, one. It, look, it got blown over pretty quickly. I, I think people realized, hang on, it was a little bit too much, um, you know, criticism for a piece of art on a, a ephemera was then, wasn't it? They weren't to know they were going to be one of the biggest bands in the world. You know, and the Iron Maiden is on a poster behind Maggie's head, uh, and you know she's going to get her revenge. And there's that's what makes this single cover so good. It's very punky again because there she is, gun, you know, going to attack him, but it's he's, she's going to get her revenge. So you know, it all comes round in the end, doesn't it? Right? I think I think that's it really. And 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 what also is beautiful about the uh, artwork on all of early Derek Riggs albums um, is that they were all done with acrylics and 
oils, mainly acrylics. Now he does digital work now because acrylics made him very sick. I I worked when I was at art college. Um, I used a, primarily a lot of acrylic because it was cheap. It dried quickly. Um, you could get some interesting tonal ranges out of it. Uh, not as much as fun as oil because oil had a bit more movement. You could go back and come back to it more often than you want. You know, you could keep working with it. Um, but it made him sick. And so he went to digital work, which is probably the future anyway now. Most people do that. But that aside, the, the work he did on all that work is all canvassed. It's all, you know, acrylic to canvas. It's uh, it, a lot of time and effort put into it. Now, what I haven't actually mentioned yet is I also feel that a lot of this was influenced by 2000 AD comic book now in america i don't know if, you, if you've got it in the states or where else in the world but in the uk when i was a kid um the 70s and 80s were dominated in the comic range if you weren't getting american comics um, or strange british comics um that just didn't sell many of um was 2000 ad and everyone loves 2000 ad why because that's where judge dread was born and judge dread um his creator now i've written this down because i would looked into this a bit um where am i where are we so 1977 he first appeared so three years before the first album um it has that i definitely think the early maiden art has a real dread um uh 2000 ad sort of steampunky i hate that term sorry um sort of but uh, i don't know what's the right word is it is it Bacchanal? Is it carnal? It's carnal. It's 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 um dystopian. I think is a is probably the right word for it. Actually, it has a dystopian sense to it. And 2080 had a real punky feel to it. Anyway, now the original artist. I'm going to butcher his name here. Um, okay, let's get it. Carlos Ezequire. Now I'm sorry, Carlos. I got your name wrong there. Um, but his original painter or concept drawing for 2000 AD for Judge Dredd and I really do feel that I used to I was an avid 2000 AD reader I mean I read them right until they were very last issued when they were this big sort of yellowy papered cheap paper um by fold it was a big magazine and it was I mean I remember brother had hundreds of copies of them and they were all faded and they had that musty smell because they were like cheap paper with cheap ink um, and it just gave you a sense of uh, of um, a real Britishness, actually, strangely enough. You know, the American glossy comics, you know, your DCs and your Marvels and all that, you know, you know beautifully drawn or, and beautiful, you know, but all with stories that were a bit American. And don't get me wrong, this Americans, when I say this, it's very rarely, you know, it's all a bit twee and a little bit... Um, uh, easy and not controversial whereas 2000 AD some 2080 some of the judge dread stories i remember reading one where judge dread um there was an anti-smoking law and he catches someone smoking and they take him to these um sort of sort of labs where they plug him into these smoking booths and they're in these glass containers over their heads and they have to sit there smoking in nicotine um, until they can't take it anymore and then they stop smoking and you see them come out all aged you know and and withered and uh, withered and, and and stinking and um, and at that time i was really anti-smoke because my 
mother and father heavily smoked heavily and that time my mother was dying of smoking related diseases and I felt very powerful against it and I thought that was a really powerful message and you wouldn't get that sort of thing in a lot of the American comics because it was about taking the child away into a place that was where everything got fixed and everything was looked wonderful and a world of wonderment um, whereas 2000 AD very much like the music of Iron Maiden, very much like the music of the new wave of British heavy metal, very much like the punk, very much indeed akin to the punk movement. It was about the, um, it was about the expression and expressing the dank, dark, unhappy, um, um, corrosive and um, sick part of society that we had hidden away after the war because we didn't want anything unhappy and not nice you know not nice to happen it's like the for a long time there in america i think it's changed now but um i believe hollywood had this thing where it could not have a it had to have a happy ending um because they wanted people to come away from the movies with a sense of uh, of of happiness and not with tension which is bullshit because great art is full of tension anyway that's that aside so yeah, so I think I really feel that a lot of the Dennis, the Derek Rigg stuff is so 2000 AD. It's so uh, dystopian, um, and and I think to some extent a lot of the lyric content of the first two I made downs are very similar. Are that way, even though I said that they're not political, they can be dystopian. That's a different thing, completely different, two different things. Um, anyway, I don't know what your thoughts are on the artwork. Um, maybe you should. Um, take a look if you haven't got physical copies of them you can see their work online you can see you just go to google images and you'll find it um, and just have a, have a gander around the art of course it it um it came to a, a wonderful head in uh, later on in the later albums where there was so much detail and so much movement and so much it was just such a fantastic thing become part of the pleasure of owning i made now this is the first Dogs barking in the background. You know, you can't put money on it, can you? Anyway, that's it for now. Um, I'll talk to you next week when we're going to go. Uh, we'll talk about the production of the album. Um, and we'll talk about the um, track by track. Uh, who was on it, when they were on it, what they did on it. We're going to be able to dip deeper dive than just, you know, this is a good song. As you, as you know with me, I'll be deeper diving. I hope you enjoyed this one. I really enjoyed looking at the art again and thinking about the art as well. Um, coming from an art background myself, I thought it was a, a really nice thing to do. Um, anyway, that's me for this week. Uh, talk to you next week. Bye. Bye, bye guys, for now. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.